0: No way. He is a liar, isn't he? come on now. We are, I got to tell you, it's so funny because we had our very first, uh, John wasn't able to stay for the second one. He's been struggling physically a little bit, but he came up and Pastor Paul is the first one to ask and and John, what did it, what happened during your baptism? And he just said, I almost drowned. And that was it. It was over. That was his testimony, you know? (laughs) I said, I, there, it, I'm telling you, first service left for three minutes. It was great. And Pastor Paul, I've never seen you at a lack for words, but you just didn't know quite why i had to responded to that. It was good. It was good. So um, anyway, we are going to have, a, again, baptism on April 15th. And I was thinking about it uh, during the first service. It the April 15th. I said, isn't that where we've got to pay what we owe? And now we're going to do a baptism where God pays what we owe. It's something really special, something really special. So... Uh, Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank You for this morning, we thank You for the privilege. What a privilege to come together and openly, freely and uh, I'm so thankful to be able to live where we live so that we can come and just talk about You and uh, without any concerns for someone breaking in and taking us all to jail. So that's a privilege but even more so is Your presence among us this morning. You said we're two or more gathered. You'll be with them. We know that You're here. Lord, we, we want to go deep. We want to always dive deep into Your Word. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to think about this. We can't just have some spiritual experience that's some kind of ethereal, non-concrete thing. Lord, we have to think differently about reality. Help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to roll this morning. I'm excited about this. Uh, we are going to advance two verses, two verses in our study of Ephesians. And you think, well, let's see, Ephesians is, you know, what, six chapters, going to take us about six weeks, you know, that's not going to happen. I don't want you to think of this series as being, well, when is he going to get done with Ephesians? Because I th- one of the things I hope you're starting to get a grasp of is that you can even take one word, we're going to take the word anger today and then you can link it from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 and you can see the even though the Bible this is written by over 40 authors 66 different books over a time span of about 1500 years And it comes together as a perfect whole. Now, what is the Bible? It is clearly a revelation of Jesus. That's what we know about the Bible. It's not a heightened consciousness. It doesn't give us just enlightenment like some kind of guru status book. No, it is a revelation of Jesus from beginning to end. And once you get that down in your spirit, you'll have a a better way to be able to interpret everything that we come across. So this morning we are going to talk about anger. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Four things we want to gather here right off the beginning. It says, be angry. Stop. Did you know your Bible said, be angry, be ticked off, be really upset, be angry, and yet do not sin. Don't let the sin, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And whatever you do, do not give the devil an opportunity. So first of all, be angry, absolutely be angry, but be angry about the right things. We're going to talk about the difference between what the Bible, uh, what God has, which is sometimes referred to as righteous indignation, God's perfect love and perfect justice, and yet we realize that God is ticked off a lot. And a lot of people say, "I stay away from the Old Testament God because He's angry. Well, we're going to talk about that. And then secondly... Whatever you do, do not sin. How do we sin if we're angry? It says "Be angry and that don't sin." well, it depends on what we're angry about. What are you angry about this morning? Well, chances are most of us are more consumed with petty vanity and angry where we get stepped on or under, uh, underappreciated or something like that. That's what angers us, but that's not what angers God. And then And then what we also want to see is we have to do this promptly. We have to we have to we have to deal with this anger immediately so that we don't give the devil an opportunity. Okay, so that's gonna be our that's what we're gonna look at this morning. First of all, was God angry? Well, was Jesus angry? Because Jesus claimed to be God, Jesus was angry. And the Bible's filled filled with, filled with places where it says that God is angry. But let's talk about this righteous indignation first. Mark chapter three, verses one. Listen to this story. I get I the hair stands up on the back of my neck just reading this story because it angers me even when I read it. Religious hypocrisy and dead spirituality, all that drive me nuts. And it drove Jesus. Nuts too. Now, is that seem a little bit not sacred? Well, listen to the language says, Jesus entered into, again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered up. So get the picture. Here's a guy that's coming to the synagogue, maybe, maybe to be healed, who knows? You know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was known to heal on occasion, and he comes in with his withered hand. Obviously, that had cost him his own shalom, hasn't it? Shalom was be the, the peace uh, in his life. Can you imagine all the things he couldn't do? He was really hindered in life. And it says, and they were watching him, who? The Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day were watching him to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. They were watching Jesus. And it says so that they might accuse him. Now I'm already angry. Make sure that Jesus doesn't make a man whole because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath because that's what God says. Have you ever had religious things that get in the way of just plain old good common sense, God wants to heal you in this area and somehow religion gets in the way? You didn't jump through the right hoop. You didn't light that hoop on fire. You jumped through three hoops. You were only supposed to jump through two hoops. I mean, religion can make hoops, can it? We have to be cautious. Well, Jesus wasn't swayed by that. He said to the man with a withered hand, get up and come forward. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill it? Jesus is asking that. And obviously, they just kept quiet. They kept silent. They didn't have any idea how to respond, and he was... Angry, it says, and looking around them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. Hand was restored. And this makes me angry. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Imagine that. Let's destroy this guy. He is messing up our religion here. We've got all this religious protocol and he's messing up and he's, he's going to take our position of power if we're not careful you get angry by that? Well, God was angry because Jesus was angry. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Obviously, the Father was angry because Jesus responded in anger. What do you get angry about? I tell you some things I get angry about. I get angry about abortion. But why? Because I, I'm beholden to the text here. Psalm 139 says, you know, I saw you uh, in, in the inward parts. I saw you in the unformed substance of the earth. Can you imagine that? Even before, even when you were just the nutrients in the dirt, I actually saw you. I saw your form substance. I, I saw the, the very end from the beginning and I saw your life from the beginning. And the fact that we can somehow, a uh, culture now that late-term abortion, I mean, right before the child is born, even though we'll go out and we'll take an eagle egg out in the middle of nowhere and you could, you could serve 10 years in prison for violating an eagle's egg because it's an endangered species, but now we have a child who's just about ready to give birth, even though even though we know we can keep preemies alive that are unbelievable now, it costs a lot of money, but tiny little preemies, and yet now these are fully formed babies, and, and somehow we stand up and applaud that as a culture, and that's women's rights. I'm sorry, I get angry about that, I get angry about that, because God, I think, is angry about that, because... He cares. He saw you in the unformed substance of the earth. Or you don't believe in a God, and then you know, then everything's up for grabs because morality is, is just relative to our culture. I don't agree with our culture, and I'm and I'm angry about that. I, I'm angry about, I'm angry about child pornography, child abuse, uh, so I, sexual slavery using children. I remember when I first got into ministry, we had a Our very first gig that we ever did was uh, right here. We're just across the street here at Palm Desert Country Club. This was for me years and years ago. And I had uh, the guy who had won the U.S. amateur, David Gossett, and he came. And we were doing an outreach together. And we had maybe 150 people there. And I was interviewing him, going back and forth. And I had a group that I had brought down from Connecticut, long story. But they were involved in this to play the music. And they were involved in this. It was called at that time Justice for Children International. And now it's called Love 146. And they care for the aftercare for sexually exploited children and I got very involved, I connected them with the PGA Tour and I'm happy to say what God did through that, primarily Ben Crane, Matt McConnell, some of those guys, what He did, they've raised millions of dollars for that now through their tour connection and some of the other things that they do, amazing, amazing. But I went to Nashville, I took a flight to Nashville, I didn't walk, Uh, I (laughs) flew to Nashville And I was at this uh, big conference that they had, and and they took me into a room, and I saw some gritty footage from inside some of these places, and I saw some children as young as five, six, seven years old relegated to a life of sexual slavery. Can you even imagine? And you say God doesn't, shouldn't get angry. I'm not into a God that gets angry. If you're worshiping a God that doesn't get angry about that, then you're worshiping nothing because God in His justice and in His righteousness has to be ticked off at that. Some of you may say, well, you know, how did God allow that? That's a whole other story. But we talk about things like that at Church at the Red Door. We don't hide behind these facades. I mean, God gets angry about that, and I'm angry about that. I'm angry when I think about just thievery and theft and and the trillions of dollars that cost our economy every year because things go running out the front door without having been paid for. And that raises this and raises that and th- theft by people, you know, false claims and all the litigation that comes from that. It co- it, it's a drain on our economy, trillions of dollars. And those trillions of dollars could have been used to really help the truly needy and all those things. So theft, even though you think, well, I'm stealing from the rich and taking, you know, giving to the poor. Let me just tell you something. In the end, it steals from everybody. I'm angry about that. I'm angry about addictions that devastate families. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there's no question. I bet you couldn't find a soul in here that somebody within the context of their larger family hasn't in some way been affected by addiction. You know, I had a lot of the guys here, you know, First Service has a lot of the uh, Coachella Valley Rescue Mission guys here. When I said that, I didn't ask for a show of hands, but they, they were raising their hand already. Lives have been devastated by these addictions. I'm angry at that. And, and as a result, I'm angry about Satan himself because he came, according to John chapter 10, came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. One of the ways that he does that is through planting anger in you. That's why this passage says, whatever you do, do not give the devil an opportunity So we're going to talk practically about what that means. Now, again, there is a marked difference between God's indignation towards sin and failure. He's not hurt on a personal level. He doesn't have an ego that needs to be massaged. God hates evil because it destroys His creation. And rightfully so... And therefore, there's where we have the wrath of God. If God was not a God of wrath, then He would be no God that I would want to worship at all because He wouldn't care about sin. But He is. But again, our most of our anger doesn't reside because we get up every day and we're burdened with abortion and theft and all this. We, a lot of that we kind of push away. It's hard to live in that anyway, isn't it, if you were to get up and think about that deeply every day? That'd be hard to think about. So we tend to push that out. If we experience anger most of the time, most of our time is a, is a we, we feel slighted. We feel that our, there's petty vanities. We've been overlooked. We've been misunderstood. We've, you know, we've been disrespected. You know, there's many reasons that we get angry, but not God kind of reasons. According to Grant Osborne, and this is important to see, when you see this, be be angry and yet do not sin. In the Greek, you have two imperatives. When you have two imperatives, Paul's not commanding anger. You need to understand that. In the Greek, the first of two such imperatives often carries conditional force. In other words, there's a condition to be angry. It's more like, if you really understand in the Greek, it's more like if or when you get angry, it's not saying go out and be angry at everything you can be angry at. It's just saying when this overcomes you, the more God infills your life, you're going to be angry about the things He's angry about. And when you get angry, when you get angry, that's important to know. So that's the case with anger itself, uh, unless there's a valid reason for it. Okay, so, and that's important to understand. So, here's our question. Our anger must be temporary. Biblically speaking, to be angry, even when we're righteously indignant or when we feel a strong, powerful emotion towards someone who's hurt us, it has to be temporary. We have to release this to God. We have to. We have to reconcile when it's possible to reconcile, at least from our perspective, We forgive, even if the other person is not forgiving, doesn't want to enter into this dialogue, they don't want any part with you, that's their issue. We have to be quick to reconcile, either as the offender or as the offended. We have to forgive quickly. We cannot be enslaved. It'll, It'll eat, it'll tear us apart. We have to resolve it quickly, even, the Bible says, before the sun sets. Now some of you will remember that uh, and they're here this morning this after uh this second service here, dr. Parkinson and now his uh, wife Val, who we embrace and love and you'll remember that uh dr. Parkinson's granddaughter was killed in an accident that happened back almost a year ago in April, and if you'll remember that, and how brutal that was, and his uh son Reed and his spouse they lost their two year old and the baby should not have made it i mean it was And Dr. Parkinson, who says, look, this was a medical miracle. She should not have survived, and she's thriving today. But they still lost their two-year-old. Why? Because of the negligence of a man who was driving a a city truck, and he was driving at about 55 miles an hour and driving right down, and they were parked in a turn lane, if those of you who remember, and they were hit from behind, and uh, both the parents were massively injured. We're talking probably a close to a million dollars in, in fees and medical bills and everything else, insurance paid some but not all. You can imagine the devastating toll that they, it took on them. Did they have a right to be angry? Well, I'm telling you, I don't know many of us that could have just gotten out of the car and said, you know, an emotion overtook them. But what, what did they do? How did they respond to this? Well, they had a chance to give the devil a foothold in this. But did they? That's the question. That's the follow-up question. Uh, it could destroy their marriage. It could destroy their relationship with their other uh, child. It could destroy their relationship with family. It could destroy their relationship as they think about God and what He's about. Here's what happened. At noon, a man who pled guilty to criminal negligence after he crashed his truck into a car, killing a two-year-old little girl back in April and badly injuring other family members, well, he walks freely. Rick Davis Winder will instead serve one year probation. News specialist Felicia Martinez was in the courtroom. She joins us live with the details. Felicia.
1: That's right, Cheryl. Rick Winder may be walking freely, not spending any time behind bars, but he will have to live uh, the rest of his life. Sorry for this accident. But in this case, it was the family of the victim who uh, really just wants to move forward and not inflict any more pain on either side of the family. (laughs)
0: I'm so sorry.
1: It was an emotional day both inside and outside the courtroom for the sentencing of Rick Davis Winder. The 38-year-old will serve 24 months court probation versus a possible one-year jail sentence after causing a crash that killed two-year-old Chelsea Parkinson and critically injured her baby sister and parents back in April.
2: This has been a process. We miss our daughter, of course, so much. But we realized that Rick is a real person. He's a human being. and It took a little while to realize that. But once we did, we were able to forgive him.
1: The family who flew in from Colorado and was only visiting at the time of the accident asked the judge to sentence Winder to zero jail time, feeling it would only cause harm to Winder's own family. Prior to sentencing, Winder, his attorney, and the Parkinson's met during a private meeting requested by Chelsea's family at the Provo Library, where they saw firsthand his remorse. Winder apologizing again to them today.
2: And there's not a day that goes by that I don't wish I could take to little girl's
1: place. It was also learned in court. The investigation showed Winder's blood test results showed he was not under the influence of any prescription medication. But those results didn't matter to the Parkinson's. They were full of forgiveness regardless.
0: We know that our daughter Chelsea, she hates, she hated contention. She hated whenever anyone was mad. So why should we be any different? Why is it okay if we are so full of anger and hatred and
1: that would just drive us away from her. And Winder's probation starts immediately. He was also ordered to serve 400 hours community service and um, That is to be completed within 18 months. For now, we are reporting live in Provo. I'm Felicia Martinez for
0: KSL5 News. So many powerful emotions coming from that courtroom and such a a message of forgiveness there as well. Felicia, thanks for the update. I, I didn't ask Dr. P to come up before, but I just felt, would you mind just?
2: You know, I'm, I'm so sorry. On behalf of my family, I'd like to thank my sweet friend, Pastor Jeff and his family, and all of you who prayed for my family, thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to just take one minute, that's all it'll take, to tell you that the day that my son and his sweet wife and their little babies who survived went to court to speak as survivors and give an impact statement, I knew that they were in town. Uh, I knew that they were going to testify, but I didn't know what was going to happen. And I was working that day. I was in surgeries all day. And when it was all over, I had gotten news from one of my nurses that they'd been on television, on national television, and that they had forgiven Rick. That night, Reed and his wife took me to dinner. Hmm. And... They didn't mention the trial at all. They didn't mention the hearing. And finally, I said to them at the end of dinner, um, Reed and Katie, I heard about what you did, and I want you to know I'm very proud of you. And I'm the patriarch of my family now. You know, my daddy's gone, and I'm really the oldest person (laughs) in the family, and I wanted to say something prophetic. So I said, Reed, what you did today is going to affect our family for generations, Mm -hmm. and it's going to affect congregations like yours for generations. And he looked at me almost with a, almost kind of a bewildered look on his face, and he said, Daddy, we did this for him. And I interpreted that, and Pastor interpreted that this way. Him was not just Rick, but him was Father. And this is my testimony, of goodness, the goodness of my pastor in this congregation. Can I say it in Christ's name? Amen. Yeah, amen. I love you, buddy. I love you so thank nice. you. I'm sorry. Thank you. No, I'm here with that.
0: thank you so much. Thanks for doing that. Well, we should just fold up and go home, huh? Anybody have a have tissue or something? Somebody get me a tissue. I'm gonna to struggle to get through this. Somebody got a tissue. Hello, live streamers. We're out there. This thank you very much. You're so sweet. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. All right. Here we go. Thank you for turning that mic off. All right, here we go. Uh, what do you do with that? That's what we're talking about here. What do you do with anger? That's not, that's, not a petty, that's not a petty vanity. That's life and death. What, what I want to show you that the Scripture, we want to mirror our Father. What we are in the process of doing is trying to take off, this is the context of Ephesians 4, our old self. John really, who was in first service and said, they almost drowned me, he was right. We wanted to completely drown his old self. And out comes a new life. That happens symbolically at baptism, but it happens for the rest of our lives as we continue to take off the old, take off the old, put on the new. And it, you're most challenged in situations like this. Please tell me if the Parkinson's and Reed and his wife can do that, then we can get over being overlooked, maybe being misunderstood, maybe disrespected in some way. Can't we, as a community, as the church at the red door, can we not? If, if the human spirit in, with Christ can rise to that level, can we not just get over our petty differences and times that we don't feel loved and we feel like we should have been? So how is God? Well, Psalm 30 verse 5 says, His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Is that not beautiful? God does have anger because he loves his creation to thrive. And when his creation does not thrive, it makes him angry. And so he sent his own son to make sure that a new community could be born out of that. That's what we're talking about here this morning. What are the effects of this foothold, this giving the devil an opportunity? Can you imagine how wide those might be, misery and bitterness? I mean, I can't even imagine. I I, I mean, as I've talked and we've kept close contact with Dr. Parkinson and, and Val and their whole family, is that they are beginning to thrive again. And as I was talking to Doc the other day, you know, that the the depression is starting to lift. And I mean, not even a year into a horror like that, who can recover from that? They can recover from that because they have not allowed anger to make a stranglehold on them because of unforgiveness and anger. No way, it's not gonna happen. Anytime you have a thought of revenge, when that's left alone, let me tell you something, that can become devastating. That can lead to unimagined turmoil. What if they were in the throes of that? What impact would that have throughout the rest of the family, that unforgiveness? I think Doc put it perfectly when he said the impact that's going to have on our family for generations. I think there's more to it than he even knows, not just, oh, remember the time, the, the very real aspects of a whole family being embittered and then getting married and then bringing that bitterness into future marriages and passing that down to future kids and more bitterness and more anger, maybe you were subject to that. Maybe, you're, maybe your father was angry and you, everybody ran like cockroaches to hide if dad's coming home. No, no, no telling whether he's going to be angry or not. The, the generational impact is profound. Health issues, I mean, I just, I just put in, try it sometime, Google health, anger, put it together. And thousands upon thousands of medical studies, this is not some remote study. I mean, this is just from Everyday Health, a, a gal named Debbie Strong. Just a few, an angry outburst puts your heart at great risk. Most physically damaging an anger's effect on your cardiac health. Two hours after the angry outburst, the chance of having a heart attack doubles and it goes on. Anger ups your stroke risk very profoundly. If you're prone to lashing out, beware. One study found there were three times higher risk of having a stroke from a blood clot to the brain or bleeding within the brain during the two hours after an angry outburst. It weakens your immune system. If you're mad all the time, you might just find yourself feeling sick more often. There was a study at Harvard... The simply recalled angry, if someone just recalling an angry experience from their past caused a six-hour dip in their immunity response, first line of defense against infection. Anger problems can make your anxiety a lot worse, I think everybody can understand that, and deepen your depression. Anger is also then linked to depression. Its hostility can hurt your lungs. Not a smoker, well you could still be hurting your lungs if you're perpetually angry, hostile person. A group of Harvard University scientists studied 670 men over eight years using a hostility scale score method to measure anger levels and assessed any changes in the men's lung function. The men with the highest hostility ratings had significantly worse lung capacity, which increased their risk of respiratory problems. They theorized that an uptick in stress hormones, which are associated with feelings of anger, creates inflammation in the airways. And then lastly, it can just flat out shorten your life. And many reasons are detected there. Now, when some people say, oh, okay, well, Bible's full of moral codes. You know, don't be angry. You know, well, I have the right to be angry. I'm angry about this and this and this. And that guy didn't have the right. And she, she, she should have never... Disrespected me like she, "I can't believe they didn't invite me to that party. It's impossible. We invited them over four times, and they still hadn't even reciprocated. Who do they think they are? What is going on here? I cannot believe that that guy just beat me in the club championship. That guy's handicap is way too high. That guy's a sandbagger. I can't, I can't believe they didn't repay that debt. I can't believe I can't believe, and we go on and on, and all of a sudden, it begins to distort our personality. We don't even realize it's crept in. You meet people and you don't know why. I just didn't enjoy being around them. The root of anger, very often, that's the the problem. Their whole personality has been radically distorted. It's unbelievable. Think about this. If God created you with certain gifts and aptitudes, and we're going to have... Pastor Dave Seaford, who, uh, and we're very excited to announce this, we're going to talk about this, he's actually going to do a gifting class, something like a Sunday school, you Baptists will be very excited, and we're going to do it opposite the two services, and we'll do it upstairs in that room. If you uh, take a little test and go get into understanding your gifting more, you might discover deep down why God's created you and some of your natural aptitudes that may have been marred by anger through the years. A lot of you, your personality, you've, ado- you've adapted a personality that's being informed by anger and you didn't even realize you were doing that it may make you move away from people not trust people because you got angry at somebody look when you can nip this in the bud be slow to anger hopefully never get angry on a petty thing but if you can nip this thing in the bud early and quickly you do not realize the impact that will have on your personality not to mention the downline of people around you I know situations, I've witnessed them over and over where everybody's cowing to the men. Now, I'm going to, not speaking to the women specifically, I'm going to speak to the men in here. If you've bullied and plowed your way through life because you're the stronger guy or everybody else just kind of cows to you and you struggle with anger, you have no idea the harmful the harmful, harmful effects that's had on your children and maybe even your children's children and your children's children's children. Now one of the beauty, th- beautiful things about us is that we're covered in the blood, we can repent, we can change our mind about how we deal with this and some of you should not leave your parking lot before you get on the phone already with some of your kids and irrespective of their bad behavior if you've struck out in anger and I'm not talking righteous indignation, I'm talking about an inflamed idea and sense of your own self-interest, if you've done that, call them and ask them to forgive you. You might be saving your grandkids' lives. Create a whole new atmosphere within your house if there's anger, if that's allowed to be the normal path of how you deal with struggles in your home. Don't do it. Look, our anger has to be slow to develop. Let me give you a few verses, Psalm 145, verse 8. First of all, God's anger is slow to develop. The Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger, and he is phenomenal. He's great in loving kindness. God is driven by love. He still has his hatred of sin, but he's slow in our life. Thank God, God is slow. Lord, thank you for being slow to anger. Otherwise, you would have wiped me out years ago. And I mean that with every fiber of my body. There's no self-deprecation in that. It's a fact. He's been slow to anger. He's great in mercy and loving kindness. He's so faithful and true. Even when I've been unfaithful, he's been faithful. That's why we worship him. That's why thou, how great thou art is a fitting worship song. Did you feel that in your bones? It just feels good to worship because of who he is. Proverbs 14, 29 turns it back on us. He who is slow to anger has great understanding. He who is quick-tempered exalts folly. There is a depth of maturity when you see people that should be angered but aren't. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever been in a situation where you know who's in the room, but the other person people don't know? Like you have somebody of great, very much a VIP they walk in they should be more normally where they go they're known they're they're well everybody kind of you know oh my gosh do you realize who that is and they maybe they're very wealthy or powerful people and they walk in but now they're under the influence of christ and they walk in and nobody recognizes that that's who they are and then they treat them kind of ridiculously and treat them like they don't treat them well and they're with the respect they deserve and that they've earned and, and they talk down to them or they become the expert not knowing that they're talking to somebody that might know a lot more about the subject that they're talking about and you watch that person and the person just is graceful, filled, and loving and doesn't feel disrespected. It doesn't even take a Christian or somebody who's been regenerated to see that and go, I'm drawn to that. That humility is so beautiful. Why isn't that person getting angry? You hear it sometimes, some of these mean, tough, you know, plow- through life kind of guys. He can't suffer a fool. That's sad. because God suffers me every day. Isn't that amazing? Proverbs 16:32 says, "He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty." What? He who rules his spirit? more mighty than he who captures the city I don't know if you can sometimes it's "Ah, just hyperbole no it's not I mean what the Bible is saying here in a spiritual realm you're much more mighty than even if you've got big armies and all everything else that's surrounding I mean you could have power and glory and everybody you know bow to you when you come through We'll go all the way back to the time of Jesus and, and then those years, intervening years afterwards with the Neros and the Caligulas and the Vespasians and, and all, these, all these Roman dictates that wanted to be bowed to and worshiped and it was this uh, emperor worship. And then they're right and said, no, 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 if you're slow to anger, you're much more mighty than even them. Do you believe that? Do you believe there's great power in being slow to anger? I have come to cherish this as a trait I aspire to. Have I achieved it in every place? I'm telling you, I am much less angry than I've ever been in my life. I still don't like the cats to come in and sit on my stuff, but still, (laughs) I am much less angry. And my wife is so grateful that I am. When we first met, I was an angry guy. And in some ways, she was an angry girl. But what happens is that Jesus comes in, and we take off our old clothes, and we we begin to change in our minds. We think deeply about things, and then we say, okay, now let's put on these clothes of gentleness and humility, even frailty at times. But the world will see that. So, when we, get, when we typically don't get our way, it's usually self interest, isn't it? I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> we're two years old. We're two, we're two, two year olds, you know? Now, we don't stomp our feet anymore, but we do. Can you imagine that Reed and his wife, they're not even suing for restitution from this guy? They're not even asking for any kind of penalty. He's already paid enough and just what's going on. I mean, and then, and then somebody <laughs> doesn't invite us to something or overlooks our contribution or...
1: No, like that.
0: Isn't that just like the parable Jesus told? The guy owed everything, everything. And, and the master says, I release you from your debt. And he goes out and finds somebody that owes him a loaf of bread basically has him thrown in prison because he won't repay. See, when you get angry, what you're really saying is that I have no idea what the gospel is. If you're an angry person, what you are essentially admitting is that you really have no idea what the gospel is or you haven't been saturated in the gospel. The more, and I told First Services, the more I am saturated in my understanding of the gospel, of my frailty and his holiness, and His willingness to pour everything onto His own Son and then allow me to go free like a caged bird, go free and be renewed, every time I understand that more deeply I realize that I have less grounds to ever, ever, ever be angry for a personal insult or slight. I've been doing this for quite a long time and I remember early on You know, everybody wants people to kind of like them. I'm just telling you a long time ago, this is not a great book to talk about every week if you want everybody to like you. Okay, I finally figured that out. And so through the years, and sometimes rightfully so, but you have your critics. And he didn't say this enough. He should have said more of this. I didn't agree with that. Who's Who's he to say this? And a lot, you know, especially if you've been, you could teach for years somebody comes in for one sermon and then they hear something and then they get all tweaked and then they criticize and they begin to tell other people about it and at first it would be like well I'm just I'm doing the best I can I'm, the, I'm trying to follow God and you start and, and finally I, I get more and more immersed in the gospel over these last two decades and I just realize that it's okay it's okay it's it's a beautiful thing that it's okay to overlook it. Think about this, Proverbs 19, verse 11. Look at this. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. Now get this. Do not miss it. And it is his glory. You want to you know what is glory? It means to, to shine. I mean, it was like everybody's like, wow, look at the incredible nature of that person. It is his, to his glory to overlook a transgression. When somebody slights you and you just go, it's okay. Somebody offends you, it's okay. I mean, I've had bad days too. Maybe, maybe the guy's got a headache. Maybe, maybe that guy's father beat him mercilessly as a child, and he has this anger, and now he just strikes out at everybody, and I just happen to be in his way. It's okay. Or even a family member. I mean, for heaven's sakes, my family is for me, not against me. They over, when they overlook an angry episode or I overlook, just give them the benefit of the doubt. It's okay. Overlook it. It's it's glory filled. Catch this. It's glory filled to overlook it. That's what the Bible says. Just overlook it. It's okay. But you don't know what they did. It's, It's okay. Think about the cross. Saturate yourself in the understanding of the gospel, and you'll be less and less and less angry. And If you do have somebody that really is, and by the way, kind of just a sidebar note here, there are times when borders have been crossed and you need to exit relationships if there's a serious abuse, physical abuse or otherwise, exit the relationship. It's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about generally insults or somebody's critical or, you know, those are the things that we all get tied up in knots about in the end. It's just absurd, life's too short, and it's not the nature of your father. Thank God, or we'd all be wiped out. That's the gospel. Proverbs 19, excuse me, 29.8, Scorners set a city aflame, but wise men turn away anger. So when you get wisdom and you you get maturity and you walk with the Lord longer, I don't care how long you've been going to church. If you're an angry person, you still don't, you're still not walking in maturity. I know those are first ser- Somebody told me in first service, well, you stepped on a lot of toes in the first service. And I said, well, mostly mine. I mean, you know, just step on my own toes. I mean, I, I, I have to be cautious of this. This is, I'm just, this is life-giving if you get this. It may feel like chastisement, but I, I'm just talking to me up here, and, I, I, and I'm just saying, okay, Jeff, get this. Turn away from it. Oh, be wise, be mature, do that. Proverbs 30, verse 33, the churning of milk produces butter, the pressing of the nose brings blood, so the churning of anger produces strife. Early on, I know, especially when you first get married, so now that uh, my daughter is engaged now, they're getting married in June, and at counseling, I then said, you guys really need to go to counseling, I'd suggest you probably don't do it from your mother and I, uh, but you, you get some <laughs> marital counseling. Laura and I counsel other couples. We're happy to do it. But immediately, don't let... This gets back to the first. Don't let the sun go down on it because what happens, is, especially early on in a marriage, there tends to be... You've got to mark your territory or something. Like I got, If I don't create this boundary, the person's going to run over me. And so little things, you just don't let anything go. I let nothing go. Nothing. You put the spoon where the fork was supposed to be. Let it go. Give the benefit of the doubt. Can I tell you, my wife does this a lot to me. She, I, I can see when I've, I've, I mess up and she gives me latitude, I know it immediately. When she doesn't say anything, she just, okay. I know it. I know it. But early on in our marriage, we had some angry outbursts. And we tell our kids that too, our, especially our first year in marriage. It's some angry outbursts. I'll put it on me, throwing stuff and doing. Th- <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. No, no, that's not her. That's not her. That's her right there. But you now I'm in real trouble right there. But we had some angry outbursts, and I threw a few things across the rooms and made some holes in walls and things like that. It was ridiculous. But, you know, marking our territory. And plus, as a two year old, I hey, no, this way, this way, this way. And now. After a few decades of walking in the gospel, there's very little anger in our home. I think our girls can attest to that. You can ask them afterwards, but there's just not that much. There's no there's very little anger there. There's very little anger. We thank God the gospel has saturated our minds. But early on you wanna it's like pressing the nose. So she did this and they press the nose and they press it a little harder and press it a little harder. And are you surprised that everybody's bleeding now? It's just saying, nip it in the bud, overlook some small thing. Have you ever been in an environment or a relationship or something and you started and it was something so petty and now it's just gone crazy and you're like, what started all this? I don't even know. Happens all the time right here. They didn't cut it immediately. They didn't nip it in the bud. So as a result, m- blood began to flow. You press that nose long enough and blood will begin to flow. Okay, So uh, Proverbs nineteen nineteen says, A man of great anger will bear the penalty, and if you rescue him, you will only have to do it again. I met with a group of men this week on Thursday mornings, about 60 guys, and we actually were here in Proverbs 19, 19 by chance, and I happened to be teaching on anger this week. The, the operative part of this is that if you are a man of great anger or woman, and that somebody rescues you, they're going to have to do it over and over again. You say, well, that's kind of depressing because I thought the gospel was supposed to give us hope for the future, right? I mean, there's hope that I won't be angry anymore. Well, only if someone else is always rescuing you. What that means is that in the end you have to say, I am a person of anger. This sermon is for me. If you're just out there going, oh, I wish somebody could hear this sermon. We do that sometimes. Oh, I got a friend who could really hear it, you know, use this sermon. This is just saying, if you rescue... Look, you cannot rescue somebody else from anger. You cannot. It's just like any addiction. It's a rut. It's a habitual thing. You get in a rut and you just do the same. You're just used to... That's how life goes. That's how life progresses, right? You just... If they do this, you just... And then everything calms down. You're like, okay, that was good. I just had to get it out. That's just how you've learned habitually to deal with anger. And you're just going to have to rescue that person over and over and over again. There's no, it's not until you say, I am a person of anger, I need to have my mind renewed, I need to take off these old clothes, I need Pastor Paul to drown me, I need, I need new clothes, I need a new life, then God will come at you with all the resources of heaven, the power and the intention to change starts in your mind. So as we wrap this up, I would just say this. listen to the words of James, James 1 verse 19. He says, uh, "This, you know, my beloved brothers, that everyone must be quick to hear, slow to anger, uh, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Your anger will never achieve righteousness." Now, your anger towards, you know, larger global abortion, things like we talked about this is different, but on a personal level, you being anger, you getting back in somebody's face, you standing up for yourself, it just doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. The kingdom advances more through absorption of blows than it does through the infliction of blows. If you know anything about church history, you'll know that to be true. doesn't work. So, let's take off our flesh suit. Galatians 5 says, look, walk by the Spirit, man. That's my commentary and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things you please if you're led by the spirit you're not under the law now you say you want to know what if you're being led by the spirit or being by the flesh if you're being led by your old suit your old nature your old ways here's what's going to happen here's what you ready immorality impurity hmm, sensuality idolatry sorcery Now, anger usually leads to enmities and strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is it a settled disposition in you? Well, I'm just an angry person. I was just, I'm just, I was raised Irish Catholic. I'm just, I kind of have a short fuse. I was, you know on and on I mean is that your settled disposition or are you like no enough I want the I want the nature of God in me if I have the nature of God in me I'm gonna I'm gonna have power in our culture I'm not gonna lose the platform that I have to make other people fall in love with Jesus people can sense it in your personality that's the point so I've never been angry around that person they'll sense it in your personality Your eye contact, your smile, if you're still brutalized by anger, people will know it. Your platform will be snuffed out. Satan would love to do that for you, not let you ever walk in your gift. You're just angry. You're overlooked. You're misunderstood. You're just, it's okay. You have your identity in Christ. And then finally, I'll just say this. Well, look, When (laughs) when we do play God, uh, when we get angry, what we're really doing is playing God. Because we're really judging the other person. I have the right to be angry and that other person's wrong. Here's what I want you to do. If you have laminate this little verse, James 4.12, put it in your purse, put it in your wallet, put it in wherever you are, keep it with you at all times. And just about the time you say, I can't believe they did, I just, that just is, I'm so offended, I'm so hurt, I'm so angered, I'm so... Stop for a second, pull out James 4.12 and read, there is only one lawgiver and judge, The one who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, what does that mean? What we're saying is, God, I believe you have all the facts. I have a limited perspective on this. I don't know whether I'm right, but right now I'm 100% right in my own mind. I am right. They are wrong. And I I am judging them. Or you like to do the silent treatment. You ostracize them socially. You don't invite them anymore. You don't pray for them anymore. You don't. You let, you push them away. Your anger can be manifest in various ways. It doesn't have to just be thunderbolts from heaven. It can just be, hmm, <laughs> oh, okay, if that's the way you want it. But deep down, it's like, I'll show you. Wait till I get my, oh, I'll have the opportunity one day don't put yourself in prison don't dis- ha- don't have your personality distorted so in closing just this here it is you want you, you do do you understand the gospel the deeper you understand the gospel the more you're going to believe that anger is part of the devil and his lie for your life he loves to kill steal and destroy and there's nothing that will destroy a marriage or anything else quick more quickly than not just overlooking a transgression I can tell you right now, my wife didn't overlook transgression. We, we'd have been divorced a long time ago, but she has been grace filled to overlook a lot of my stuff. And guess what? In the meantime, I get a chance to ha- breathe a little bit and change right before her eyes into the one that she really loves, who's Jesus. Would you give somebody else an opportunity to even change before your eyes? Or will you hold them hostage with your anger? really denoting that you are, in fact, the judge because you understand it all. This is liberating, folks. This is not a beatdown this morning. This This is an invitation to fly free, wide open, full of love, and to embrace the very nature of your Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, Bible's not just a book full of don't, 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 don't. It's a picture of don't allow this to put a strangle on you. I came to give life and life more abundantly. Father, I'm praying right now. You just begin to, I, I'm going to be quiet for a second. Just ask the Lord. Lord, there's somebody that I'm angry with. I forgive them. There's somebody that's angry with me. I'm going to call them today. There's somebody I've offended with anger 20 years ago. I'm going to call them before the day's up. I'm going to ask them to forgive me irrespective of what their response will be. I take responsibility for my anger. Lord, forgive me. Let me reconcile this as quickly as I can. And Lord, would you begin to pour out in me my real personality? I don't even know that I know what my real personality is. I've been so angry for so many years. Just tell the Lord. Just talk to him. Father, would you bring healing to our community? How are we going to be a light if we're We're bound up in anger. So, Lord, we love you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We worship you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.